When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are, Kieran I don't like to... To shed light into the magical world of podcasting for our for our listeners, that you and I, you and I saw each other just a few moments ago to record an interview, during which time we had occasion to mention the fact you were wearing a rather fetching motorhead T-shirt, and now you've covered up the fetching motorhead T-shirt. Kieran, is that because of the way our guest chuckled at the fact that you were wearing a motorhead T-shirt? A bit. I, I was picking up some negative Lemmy <laughs> vibes, so I, I didn't want to, to carry them on during the, the main podcast. <laughs> How are you? Where are you at the moment? I know it's been a busy week, news-wise. <laughs> it has. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm back home today. Yesterday, I did a, a, a day trip to uh, Liverpool and back, which is... Nice. Sort of ten and a half hours on a train, but it was it was graduation for our postgraduate students. So I, I always think it's I always think it's very important, you know, the, 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 these people who have entrusted you to help educate them are there, and their families are there, and their friends are there as well. Um, but I, I I teach on the the League Managers Association course that's uh, uh, that's run in conjunction with the University of Liverpool, and we had uh, uh, Robbie Fowler. Um, who is God, as you well, can imagine? Yeah, he's still he's still God, and, and he got he got a distinction. So fair play to him, Jason Yule, uh, Frank Sinclair, Franny wow. Jeffers. Wow. Um, we even had Liam Plunkett, the the England bowler. And what what we are going? <laughs> I'm sure he didn't play football, but yeah. uh, you know, and 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 uh, you know, other players who even some players who played for for Brighton too, the likes of Zesh Raven and so on. So yeah, it, it's it's really good that that footballers are. Moving into management, but also you know that they're taking their their education, uh, you know, benefits, and and it, it's really good. Yeah, but you know, as soon as Robbie walked on, walked across the stage, yeah, you know, and who would have ever thought seeing Robbie Fowler in a mortarboard? Because you know he he's a local lad, and he's he's done fantastically well post career, you know, post playing career as well. See, I I can imagine it's probably some mid eighties style magazine that came and went. You may have had. Robbie Fowler and Jamie Redknapp in a mortarboard in a kind of postmodern ironic take. Uh, so you say it's good that people like that are, t- are doing football finance courses, Kieran, until such time as Robbie Fowler and Jason Newell are doing their own football finance podcast. And, <laughs> and we're yesterday's kids. Yeah, the train thing, Ed, Ed tried to get to Cardiff by train on Sunday, which turned out to be overly optimistic. Turns out in, in 2023, getting a train from London to Cardiff on a Sunday Actually impossible. Couldn't even get onto the platform. Agreed. That's how bad it was. Um, we shouldn't be wittering on like this, Kieran, because A, we've lost the BAFTA nomination again, and B, we've got, uh, as the two Ronnies would, would say, a packed show. So we should get on with it. And <laughs> not only that, but I've got to get a train to Hastings at some stage this afternoon, Kieran, because we're doing our lovely library thing um, this afternoon, which, uh, which gives away the fact that it's Wednesday, not Thursday. But 
There's been enough Doctor Who timey-wimey stuff on this for our listeners to understand. (laughs) Our first story, Kieran, uh, there will be a lot of people, a lot of people, especially people who don't support Chelsea, who will be rubbing their hands with glee about this because Chelsea, (laughs) I love the fact that the important word, and I won't, I'd like to give you the the big reveal, (laughs) but Chelsea got a pivotal meeting with Premier League shareholders today and, and producer guys put the important word what it's about in block capitals with several exclamation marks, which is the most emotional he's ever been. So again, Finley comes in as soon as you mention that word. I didn't even mention the word. I just mentioned exclamation marks, and Finley knew what the word was going to be. Well, the only two words in, in, in his vocabulary are wonky chomps and amortization. <laughs> and one of them one of them is a greater degree of appeal to the other, but he, he always lives in hope. Um Yes, uh, the Premier League uh, chief executives have had a meeting on Tuesday of this week and they have uh, changed the rules with regards to the amortisation of player contracts and they brought them in line with the uh, UEFA rules which came into play on the 1st of July. And as a result of this, clubs in terms of new transfers going forwards, will only be allowed to amortise a player's contract over a period of five years. Now, you can still do a Chelsea in the terms of signing the players on seven, eight, nine-year contracts, if you so desire. But the way it's going to be treated in the accounts, you're effectively going to have a, a cut-off. Um, so I, I did some sums yesterday as soon as this came out my, my spreadsheet as you can imagine was was wheeled out as, as quite a few calls were coming in from uh, your media sources um, and it's actually worked out that, that Chelsea over the three years of an FFP assessment are saving themselves £126 million pounds. now wow. given that you can only lose 105 yeah. you know, to have a £126 million pound advantage is uh, very significant, you know, and we've we've sort of discussed you know the pros and, and the cons in relation to amortisation, um, and, and then people were saying, "Hold on, we we've just seen that Chelsea voted for the change." Of course, Chelsea are going to be the one side that is going to vote for the change because they're the one they're the one team who have got the advantage from it, and now nobody can copy them. So if you've got a loophole and the loophole gets cold, and you are still allowed to get the benefits of that loophole. Um, then, uh, yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. There, there was apparently uh, an attempt by one club to suggest that the rules were backdated. Um, can't say the name of that club, <coughs> Arsenal, um, but <laughs> but that, that was vetoed. Um, so going forwards, it is going to be a five-year deal. For those of our younger listeners worried about um, Kieran's potential chest infection there, the the <clears throat> Arsenal was a Morecambe and Wise reference, very subtly done. Um, it, interesting that Chelsea voted for it, Kieran, because I think most of us who don't understand finance would have thought that's counterintuitive. But was this introduced? I mean, has this been introduced relatively quickly? Did the Premier League have this vote simply as an attempt to stop Chelsea doing this in future, or has this been on the cards for quite some time? I think the topic has been debated uh, over the course of the last 12 months and people have been wondering what is the best way of dealing with it. Um, I mean, people say it's doing a Chelsea. It's open to every other club in the Premier League. It's also open to clubs in the EFL as well. 
Um, so, so Chelsea have, have taken on the risk because uh, you know they now have a series of players who are contracted to the club on big wages until the thirtieth of June, twenty thirty one. So, you know, we could be having a conversation. Yeah, you know, we we could be. Yeah, you know, we at the start of the 2030-2031 season, we could be having that conversation. We go, well, yeah, could be Mudrick's year. Yeah, okay, he might come good, which you wouldn't normally do in in relation to most players because they're on four or five year contracts. And I do feel that Chelsea have sort of had their fingers burned with regards to some transfers on players on shorter contracts and yeah it's not worked out for Romelu Lukaku at the club we all know that he's been out on loan now for a couple of seasons why is he not being transferred elsewhere it's because Chelsea are paying him a huge wedge each week and, and nobody else is prepared to match those wages so people say that Chelsea have got an advantage I, I genuinely don't think that is the case I just think that they've taken a huge risk because you know Mudrik, uh, Caicedo, Kukurea, uh, uh, Enzo you know they they've done okay in parts but you think well that's you know well over 300 million quids worth of talent and how many matches have they won on an individual basis or made a huge contribution during that period so uh yeah I'm I'm unusually uh, in favor of what Chelsea have done if they want to go and take that risk good luck to them um uh, though I think it you know, I think Todd Bowley's influence is is, is quite legendary. You know, given his uh, some, some of his other views on football, I think this one's a, a, a one which I don't actually have an issue with. Uh, well done for getting through that whole Chelsea answer without mentioning Graham Potter once. You you threw it out, Cucurella, but you you got through it without Potter. Now the the seven 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 potential takeover of Everton drags on, Kieran. If I was an Everton fan, I'd be slightly worried about this next news story yes I mean you know Everton have done fantastically well uh, on the pitch um, and I think we, we've said from day one even if they had that 10 point deduction neither of us saw them being uh, relegated this season and I think I think that that is likely to bear fruit but um, with regards to 777 partners there isn't any noise coming from Premier League HQ with regards to approving a takeover and, and effectively a buyout of Farhad Mashiri. By all accounts, 777 have now put in over £100 million. And a lot of that money, and this is where I get a bit twitchy, I have no issue with football clubs borrowing money. People say that debt's bad. I go, well, hold on. You know, we're in this conversation. I've got a mortgage. You've got a mortgage. That's debt. Well, why did you why do you take out that debt in order to buy a house? So if if, if debt is used for a long term strategic part of the club's development, then then I have no issue whatsoever. What makes me slightly twitchy in relation to Everton is I think that a lot of the the money which has been borrowed has been utilised to pay the wages and the day to day running costs of the club, and using long term finance to get you over short term financial stresses. That isn't good. You you match short-term lending to short-term needs and you match long-term lending to long-term needs. We don't know enough detail with regards to these loans from 777, but we understand that they're unsecured. Um, So if somebody is lending money to a company in financial distress, which is unsecured, the first thing I'd be asking is, well, are are they charging interest? And, And there are some fantastic 
investigative journalists, you know, the like of Tariq Panja at the New York Times. Uh, there's uh, Josie Ma, who are sort of, they, they just roll up their sleeves. And yeah, there's there's reports coming in. I think it's from the, the, the Times and Martin Ziegler and so on. That 777 themselves are borrowing money um, from a company called ACAP, and ACAP are normally lending at 20%. And you go, well, that's that's credit card rates. And yeah, that is not good at all. So what happens you know, if if the Premier League comes to the conclusion that it doesn't have enough faith in 777 as prospective owners? Does 777 then say, right, well, we're, we're throwing our toys out in the pram and we're going to take our money back? Because if so, then then there's an issue. And under those circumstances, I think the fear would be, well, if, if Everton can't pay those debts, what's the next step? And you know, and, and we start to get into uncomfortable territory. You know, nobody wants to see a club going into administration. Is Farhad Mashiri now going to find the money? You know, there, there's question marks you know, still about his historic close relationship relationship with Alicia Usmanov, who is clearly a very wealthy person in his own right. Um, so, you know, just as Everton are, are doing fantastically well on the pitch, and you know the, the fans are uh, the fans are united, which was which is good. Um, then then you've got this sort of irritant in the background. You see, where I worry, Kieran, on behalf of Everton fans, is what you've told me in the past about how 777 operate. Uh, as we saw that in, in, in Melbourne, and also they, they lend an awful lot of money to someone um, in a short period, period of time. And when that money can't be repaid, they use that as an excuse to take the club essentially as, as collateral or an excuse to buy the club at a much reduced price. And that... Uh, it seems to me that there's every indication there's, that's what's happening here. Yeah, but I think the difference between ourselves and the A-League in Australia is that the Premier League can veto the deal. So that that's where my concern is. Yes, they, yes, they have leverage over the club at present, but is this a way of trying to force the Premier League's hand? Um I don't think that would work. Uh, you know, I'm, the, the Premier League does lots of things right and lots of things wrong, but I don't think it would let itself be uh, forced into uh, sanctioning or uh, sorry, sorry, into endorsing a takeover simply because of the, the existing financial investment of a lender. Mm. Uh, the, the owner of Bournemouth, Kieran, Bill Foley, is obviously very happy with life at the moment, very Mm. happy with football, so happy, in fact, that he wants to be even more involved in the game. Yes. Um, Bill Foley, who uh, I think it's fair to say he, he makes us look young. Um, <laughs> he, he, is, he is from Texas. Uh, he, he clearly wants the thing to get things moving. Um, and and he's, he's changed it through. through. And, and to be fair play, I think a lot of people went in, in respect of the new manager, Uzi, um, and you know he's clearly got a, a change of mindset within the players, and, and they're playing some excellent football at present. So that that's that's a good. But it looks as if he is uh, going to be investing in Hibs. Um, it, it, this has to have the approval of the SFA um, in respect of it, and I think it if if it goes through, 
you know, we've we've talked about the multi-club ownership model at length historically and the benefits that it brings. But what is noticeable is that there hasn't been an English and a Scottish club as part of an MCO. Um, and therefore, this is different. What are the benefits? Well, you know, clearly there's, you know, there are close ties between the two countries. Um, does this mean that they can get shared benefits in terms of coaching, putting players out on loan? Um, you don't get the same benefits as acquiring another club in, in Europe where you can effectively use that club to park 16 and 17-year-old talent. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where things go forwards. Um, it was noticeable, um, and I picked this up on my uh, train journey back from Liverpool to uh, sunny Sussex uh, yesterday. It is noticeable that Hibs have been very active on Companies House, and there's been a lot of documents which should have been submitted over the course of the past four or five years. Um, you know, they've not gone in, and, and frankly, under normal circumstances, who cares? You know, because people aren't bothered about these things, but they've done an awful lot of tidying up. So the club is in now in a position whereby if a significant investment came in, and we don't know whether it's going to be a takeover or minority investment, but if a significant investment came in, um, the, the decks have now been cleared for that to take place. From the Hibs point of view, there's a separate issue in terms of you know, an agreed price and getting approval from the SFA. Uh, two things, Kieran. Do you, what would you consider a fair price to be if he if he is trying to buy the whole of Hibs? What would you think would be a fair price? And secondly, didn't um, what Danny Dyer would describe as your mob once have a, a relationship with Hibs? Wasn't there some kind of financial thing going on between you and Hibs, or was that totally just sort of player based? I, th I think that was more of an entente cordiale Ooh, nice. uh, in, in terms of um, what what we say in management school speak is is a knowledge exchange. Oh, okay. you know, um, so you know, just just having closer tie-ups with, uh, uh, with, with another club, I, I don't think that's been necessary, has gone forwards any further. Um, with regards to a value for Hibs, you know, they're, they're a team that, you'd expect to be in the SPFL. Um, they don't tend to make money, but they don't lose. They certainly don't lose money at the levels of, of the, the championship. So again, you, you look at the main assets, real estate assets, they've got the chances of going into Europe. So I'm probably looking somewhere in the region of 40 to 50 million for a, for a club like that. Um, depending upon exactly what you're buying. Mm. I, I I love going to see Hibs play when I get a chance when I'm in Edinburgh. Um, it's also a very cheap way of hearing the Proclaimers. It's much, much cheaper, I think. Rather than buy a ticket to see the Proclaimers, just buy a ticket to see Hibs and you'll get at least four Proclaimer songs over the PA during the course of the game. It's uh, very useful. <laughs> um, so one Premier League owner is looking to expand his stake in another club. And in the meantime, Matthew Benham, the owner of Brentford, is considering reducing his stake in his club. Yes, uh, yeah, Matthew Benham has been spectacularly successful um, at Brentford, and, and I'm sure all fans, you know, fans hold him in the same regard as uh, you know, Brighton fans hold Tony Bloom. I think it's fair to say that Tony Bloom and Matthew Benham do not hold each other in very high regard yeah, yeah, because uh, they've had a, a fairly famous fallout 
many years ago. But he's looking, from what I understand, is, is a minority investment. And if I was on the sales side of the pitch, um, you'd be looking for potentially for, for US investment. You know, uh, Brentford fans famously say, we're the, closest, we're, we're the closest club to New York because we're pretty close to Heathrow. And you know, it, it, it's a London club. It's got a new stadium. It's very quickly established itself in the Premier League. So all of those are positives. From what I understand, Brentford are valuing the club at around about £500 million, which is, I think, is at, at the top, very much at the top level. You know, Newcastle went two years ago for £300 million. Um, what have Brentford got that Newcastle don't have got? You know, to, to, to be have a 60% premium on that could say that, yeah, and it's, it's very unusual for anybody to say could be that that Mike Ashley undersold uh, Newcastle. So certainly, you know, from a, looking looking in the rearview mirror, um, the Chelsea price has, has perhaps set a new new benchmark. I, I still think that that is a that's a price which would turn away many owners, uh, especially if they're only going to get fifteen or twenty percent of the club, and therefore you end up spending a hundred million pounds for you know, a seat in the boardroom. Um, you know what influence, what uh, what impact would you be able to have? But it makes sense from from Matthew Benham's point of view. He's he's got an existing club in in Denmark. I think he wants to uh, free up some cash to to utilise in in other projects and doesn't want all of his eggs necessarily in the Brentford basket. Mm. I'm not entirely sure. I see Brentford's logic there that they're the closest club in London to New York because I don't think Leighton Orient are getting much out of being the closest club in London to Hong Kong. It's, 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 it's a geographical <laughs> nicety, basically, isn't it? Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Kieran, in recent weeks, because we've been there's been so much focus on on Reading and on Scunthorpe and on South End, another of the clubs that are on our list, West Brom, have kind of taken a place on the back burner a little bit. Um, even though we have been talking about them off air and been worried about them, but it looks like there may be uh, some good news for fans of the club with the highest stadium in the country. Yes, uh, I think John Percy reported this in the Telegraph and uh, also uh, Ali Jones of, of Action for Albion. He, he's, he and I are in regular contact. Uh, but yeah, jo- John Percy was reporting in the Telegraph that progress has been made with regards to a sale of the club. Um, we, we spoke a couple of weeks ago that West Brom have actually taken out another loan from MSD Holdings. And 
you know, my view at the time would be that MSD Holdings probably would only lend if, if they were confident that a deal was going to go through, because otherwise, how are they going to get their money back? Um, so it will bring uh, a bit of peace and tranquility into the minds of, of many Baggies fans. Uh, you know, we, we know that uh, the club has been through a, a pretty uh, rocky period since Jeremy Peace bought and then sold his investment and moved to Jersey and uh, yeah, there's been a number of uh, lenders who they're okay, but uh, these these specific lenders aren't football fans. Yeah, they they're not interested in uh, the the long term sustainability of West Bromwich Albion. They're they're looking at getting a financial return. So if there if there is new owners coming in, um, I think there's two or three you know, interested parties. One would presume that we'll move to a period of exclusivity with regards to one of them. And then we move on from there with with new owners. You know, clearly the the existing owner, Gauchan Lai, mm. hasn't worked out. Mm. Um, our next story, Kieran, takes us to Wales. Um, and luckily, as it happens, I am sitting just inches away from my wonderful wife, Ali, who's also my Welsh language um, uh, expert and consultant. So, Ali, uh, Pontypridd. How do I pronounce Pontypridd? Pontypridd. Pontypridd. Yeah. So I was close. So Pont- ah. Pontypridd. You say, hang on, I'll get Alex to say. I'll go, hold it. Pontypridd. There you go. That's how you oh. pronounce it. Thanks, Ali. Anyway, United. <laughs> They've been ducked six points for player contract breaches, Kieran. And they could face, and I, I had to double check that this wasn't <laughs> yes. a, a misprint or guy falling asleep on his uh, keyboard, as he is occasionally prone to do, because he's... He, you know, counts gold sheep in his head and not so but <laughs> I'm going to leave you to say it Kieran because people won't believe me if I say it but you're, you're the authority in these things so tell us uh, about the six points and and the, the points deduction that could be coming their way yes they, they, they've had a, a tough season in, in Welsh football and uh, they have been given a formal deduction of six points but a further 135 suspended penalty <laughs> if there are similar issues between the end of uh, today and the end of the 2024-25 season. I, I apologise um, apologize for laughing. Well, that's, a, that's a random number, isn't it? It is, yeah. Apologies for laughing, Pontypridd fans, but uh, it's, it is a, it's a random and, and unfortunately laughable number unless you support that club. It's, what have they done that's so bad that it merits a potential 135-point deduction. I think they, uh, when they were initially charged by uh, uh, League of Cymru, or Cymru League, um, they robustly defended themselves. So they, 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 they went on the, they sort of doubled down, we've done nothing wrong and so on. Um, they lost the case. And on, on the back of that, I, I think uh, Welsh football has, A, uh, given them a penalty, which is is to do with registering players who they weren't entitled to register or playing players who hadn't been properly registered. And the, the investigators found this was a, quite a common uh, feature of the club. Um, and and you know, we, we, we've spoken to, to Sanjay from Kicking Out and we'd be coming a show. And one of the things that he was... Uh, very keen on discussing was was governance within clubs, uh, and and very much a case of they they don't have the the skill set or 
the inclination to 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 employ the right practices because everything's geared towards the next match and nothing else matters. Um, so it looks like Pontypridd um, have been caught with their pants down on this one, um, and it looks like there could have been a culture of sort of yeah, slack governance at the club, and on and on the back of that, the, the the Welsh Football Authority say, you know, sort yourself out, otherwise. You might as well not bother for twenty four, twenty five, because you're going to be relegated before the season starts. Uh, we'll certainly keep an eye on that one, uh, as indeed probably will Everton's lawyers. It probably won't like the, like the idea of a hundred and thirty five <laughs> yes. suspended deduction. Um, in normal seasons, Kieran, the the accounts of Berwick Rangers probably wouldn't um, give us much interest, but is it, they've managed to lose quite a lot of money in twenty two, twenty three. By the look of things. Yes, um, my, my my depth of Companies House investigation uh, does now extend to the the Lowland League, and I think everybody's everybody's got that sort of intriguing soft spot. It's one of those things that you learn as a schoolboy, isn't it? At the age of seven or eight, as an English club playing in Scotland, um, and you or I are just old enough to remember 1967 when they beat Rangers. In the in, in the Scottish Cup, which which is still the club you know, from from Berwick Rangers' point of view, their their, their greatest achievement, which they still refer to. Um, so Berwick Rangers are actually based in Northumberland in England, but they play in Scottish football. Um, they've they've fallen out of sort of the senior tiers of Scottish football, and they're now in the Lowland League. And I think they're playing the university. They're playing the University of Edinburgh, the University of Glasgow, something like that this this weekend. Um, so you would think, well, they just cut their cloth accordingly. But they've they put out their accounts and, and they've lost over a hundred thousand pounds. Now, you know, a hundred thousand pounds to you know, Crystal Palace or Brighton or Manchester United or even clubs in the championship is is nothing. Hundred thousand pounds for a club in the in the fifth tier of of Scottish football is is indicative of uh it, it's a it's a tricky transition from sort of senior football to junior so you know, to, to semi-junior football. Um and we've also often said on the show that one of the things that we think that sets Scottish football apart from English football is that in general, the clubs are breaking even because to a certain extent, they've said we're the, the step ups from the Scottish Championship to um, the Premiership is actually quite small. So therefore, why gamble in trying to achieve it? The other clubs, and it's a terrible words to describe the other clubs in the Premiership, they're fighting for third position and below because we we know who the top two are going to be, um, and, and so on. Uh, so so to lose a six figure sum is is a little bit of a cause for concern, and yeah, you know, we just hope that because of the unique nature of this club, that you know they they can turn around those finances. That it's still got plenty of cash in the bank, yeah. You know, so it, it's it's not a it's not in financial distress in my view, but. It shows even at the lower levels of football, clubs are losing money. Of course, you and I are both the proud owners of Berwick Rangers shirts, Kieran, courtesy of our, yeah. our good friend, Mr. Peevely, Ian, long-term supporter of the show, who, who travelled all the way to Salford to deliver said shirts from Berwick. So they're a club we always like to keep an eye on. Um, now, I know they never say this on Newsnight, Kieran, but um, times, times, are, times are getting ahead of us. Uh, I know Kirsty never says, can we gallop through these last two stories about Suella Braverman and the government? <laughs> um, but, but, <laughs> it's already been quite a long pod. And we've got quite a long interview coming up as part of this pod. And 
as we mentioned before, I've got a train to catch, so I can see you in Hastings. So I'm yes. seeing you a lot. I've seen a lot of you this week, Kieran. Um, so but our last stories, <laughs> our last stories are all European based. So I wonder if we could sort of gallop through mm. them relatively quickly. And the first one is about the president of UEFA, uh, obviously inspired by his hero, the president of FIFA, because he's trying to change his own rules, Kieran. Yes. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Um, is the situation that we have here, of course. Um, Alexander Seferin is a lawyer by by historical precedent, and uh, he was involved in, in respect of Michel Platini, um, who used to be the head of UEFA. And he says part of the problem was that Platini had, had been there too long and, and he effectively had the option or the, the opportunity for, for lifelong control which is uh, uh, Vladimir Putin's approach. I believe he's just, you know, Vlad has just put himself forward to be president of, uh, of Russia once again. Um, so therefore, there, there was a sort of a, a two-term ceiling in, in respect of being the president of UEFA um, in order, yeah, and that's similar to what we have in the USA in terms of presidents there and so on. Um, and now, having done the job for a few years, uh, Alexander Seferin thinks, hmm, quite like, Quite like the table and chairs here, quite like the view out the window. So he's trying to change UEFA's uh, constitution to allow him to have a third term. Um, there is a bit of pushback. Uh, I think David Gill, who is the, the former chief executive of Manchester United, I think he and some other people are over over uh, happy with that. So um, there, there's, a, there's a guy called Berliano from Romania who could be set up as, a, as an alternative um, Seferin's quite popular with quite a few uh, national associations. So how this uh, moves forward, uh, only knows. But I, I feel uncomfortable where, when you know we, we are, we, we are quite snooty and sneery uh, with regards to um, countries in in other continents where presidents have come in and then declared themselves president for life. Uh, and not gone through the traditional routes, and, and there's there's overtones of that here. Yeah, it's ironic we should be so snooty and sneery about that when it's been several decades since we had a prime minister that was actually voted for by the people. Uh, and cue everybody going, well, we don't actually vote for a prime minister, Kevin. We vote for a party that gets put into power. Um, if if it wasn't for the fact that the baroness would get the hump because you've got enough on your plate already, I would propose <laughs> you. I would propose you as an alternative candidate for head of UEFA. Well, I think there was so. I mean, Pontypridd United would vote for you for a start off. Berwick Rangers would vote. There's all sorts of all the smaller clubs all over <laughs> Europe would vote for you. Um, we haven't got time for you to reply to that, Kieran. I'm afraid this story, this next story, is a huge story, but it's kind of gone under the radar a little bit. And it's um, you mentioned Seferin being a lawyer. Um, this <laughs> there's been a widespread travel ban on French football fans, Kieran. Um, there's no longer a widespread uh, travel ban on football fans. Perhaps you could briefly explain how both of those things came about. Yeah, there, there's been a rise in uh, violence. There's been a rise in uh, yeah, we, 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 we're trailing this this interview with Sanjay, but uh, there's been a rise in racist, homophobic, misogynist cheap, ch- uh, you know, chanting. Um, at French football, very noticeable. Uh, over a hundred police officers have been been injured. So the um, the French Council of State um, introduced a ban on uh, quite a few football clubs uh, in terms of their their away fans travelling. 
this hasn't gone down well. Uh, French supporter groups are are uh, appealing the decision. It's also applied in respect of some European fixtures. Uh, Sevilla's fans were originally banned from travelling to Lons. Now that's been overturned. Um, and you, you can see both sides of the view. You know, we as football fans need to take responsibility for our actions. Personally, I just go and ban hoodies. Yeah, black hoodies, that's it. You know, and be, because it, it it does tend to be those, those type of people who are sort of organised as as groups and and, and wearing a a uniform for want of a better phrase. Um, at the same time, innocent until proven otherwise. But we are seeing uh, a rise, and 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 yeah, you know, I'm I'm not political as you know, but they are linked to. Uh, far-right groups a lot of the time um, and they have become politicised and radicalised. So, so how how do the authorities respond? Well, the, the French approach does appear to be a bit draconian to, uh, but one death is one death too many and you know, you, you, we all go to football and you know, we've had domestic issues in this country and you've, you've suffered at Palace and you know, you know, I work in the city of Liverpool and we've got the tragedy and so on there have been too many things that have been wrong in, in football in terms of the way that the authorities have treated people, but also we as fans at times have to take that responsibility ourselves. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, the High Court has overturned that wide travel ban at the moment. So, again, that's a story we'll follow. And still in France, Kieran, um, the owners of the biggest club, Paris Saint-Germain, have agreed to sell a minority stake, which has me worried that the Qataris are a bit short of cash, Kieran. It's not a, not a scenario we could imagine. Yeah, this this is a weird one because they don't need the money. But if you look at Manchester City, you know about twenty twenty five percent of Manchester City is now owned by by Silver Lake. Um, so Arctos Partners have bought twelve and a half percent of PSG. I think the big issue is that it it values PSG at around about four billion dollars, which is you know, more than Chelsea went for. French football is is in the doldrums to a certain extent, partly due to the fact that PSG win practically everything every year. Um, it's not competitive. They've struggled to sell their TV rights and so on. Um, they've become a very good international brand, but they've lost Messi. They've lost Neymar. Um, you know, they are for, therefore very reliant on Kylian Mbappe as you know, the front left and centre of the club in, in terms of its global appeal. And it's questionable as to, as to how long he wants to stay at the club. Although the, the traditional uh, soap opera of where is Kylian Mbappe, get, when's he going to go to Real Madrid, that seems to have gone quiet for a little bit of time. If Alexander Seferin does stay in charge of UEFA for a, a longer period of time, he may have a problem, Kieran, with the, the rapid expansion of the Union of European Clubs. Yes. So this was an organisation that was set up as an alternative to um, the European Club Association. And for people not familiar, the, the European Club Association is effectively, it was a trade union of football clubs that was set up to represent the view of clubs. Um, and anybody can join it, but only a few clubs can vote. So it's 
it's not as democratic as it likes it likes to make itself out to be. So the European Union clubs um, was set up an alternative. I, th I think Steve Parrish has has been there and, and Paul Barber of Brighton. So yeah, we know their clubs. Um, but it's just taken on a further thirty four clubs who are linked to the the Fair Game project. So it, it's clubs like you know Lincoln and Grimsby and and so on. So lower league clubs, but their voices need to be heard as well because. Uh, you know, we, we we give our other glib saying, you know, we're all bricks in the same wall and there's too many people just willing to, to let some of those bricks disappear. Um, so it is trying to get a voice across. The European Club Association are being awkward. I think it's saying um, if any of our members also join the Union of European Clubs, we're going to ask you to leave us. So you have to make a choice. Uh, and I don't feel comfortable with that. You know, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a trade union member, but I'm actually belong to more than one trade union. Um, and I would be very miffed if one of my unions said, "I've got I've got to choose." You know, you've got exclusivity. So, so it it, it is now a, a broader voice um, representing lower league football in in England, and, and I think that can only be a benefit to all. See, you're you're lucky to have a range of trade unions to choose from, Q, and I've got equity. That's it. Uh, which will mean nothing to you, Kieran, or to most of our listeners. But Ali's nodding sagely next to me. No, no, no. I'm. Well, you're, you're... everybody knows that equity. Is... You're in equity as well. That wouldn't surprise me, Kieran. No, no, you do... well, everybody knows that equity. You're, you do way more showbiz appearances than I do, so probably you should be in equity. <laughs> uh, we need to move on, as Kirsty never says. Uh, German clubs. This is a fascinating story, Kieran. German clubs have voted narrowly in favour of handing the DFL a mandate to negotiate a deal with a private equity investor. And Kieran, you spoke to German football expert Matt Ford about this. Ho, 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 gentlemen. Get ready to jingle and deck your balls this holiday with the help from our friends over at Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming have just launched their Performance Package 5.0 Ultra let your ornaments shine and enjoy 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code price of football, all in big letters. The Performance Package 5.0 Ultra is the one-stop shop for holiday gifting perfection. It includes a trimmer as precise as Santa coming down the chimney. The Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra brings two next-gen blade heads, which are perfect for sculpting your holiday do. You can also say goodbye to those holiday party crashes. Nose and ear hairs! The Weed Whacker 2.0 Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer is the king of trimming those hairs, trying to sneak into your festivities uninvited. So if you want the smoothest sprouts in town this Christmas and the shiniest baubles, get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL. Give the gift of Manscaped this holiday season. doing today yeah morning kieran all good thanks now how on earth is a manchester united fan ended up working in germany 
because a Manchester United fan learned how to speak German and um, ended up ended up moving over here. And um, yeah, on and off, been here on and off for twelve years now, and uh, working yeah working full time as a as a football journalist for the best part of eight years. So generally, I'm covering German football and. Um, yeah, on the pitch, off the pitch, everything associated with it. Um, and yeah, I feel quite quite privileged to do so, even when the topics like today's topics are quite complex. And I feel like I should maybe maybe have uh, given up on German and studied maths instead. <laughs> well, if you need a bit of football maths, I know somebody that might be able to help you on that. <laughs> well, yeah, luckily, luckily so. <laughs> so it's, it's been quite a big week as far as German football and, and the finances are concerned. So so what, what exactly have they been at? But what, I believe there's been a big vote this week and, and what's the outcome of that? Yeah, well, I mean, we, I, the, last, the last time we spoke was back in April or May, I think, wasn't it? And that was regarding a potential deal to get a private equity investor on board with the German Football League, the, the DFL. Uh, we spoke last time about how that vote uh, failed. It fell short of the two-thirds majority, which would, would have been required at the DFL's annual general meeting. Um at the time, we thought that that deal was dead in the water. Well, at least that's what we were told. Turns out it absolutely wasn't. It came back with a vengeance. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's been a change of leadership at the top of the DFL, um, and they have resurrected. They, they, they've resurrected this uh, this investor deal. And on Monday, it was voted upon, and this time it did achieve the two thirds majority. Twenty four clubs out of thirty six. Uh, voted voted yes. So again, my brilliant maths will tell you that is exactly two thirds. So there was only one vote in it. We might come on to that, that one vote later. So um, yeah, what exactly has been voted on? Uh, they've not voted directly on a specific deal. They voted to give the new DFL co-CEOs, that's two fellows by the names of Stefan Merkel and Mark Lentz, the mandate to enter into negotiations to negotiate a deal with a potential private equity investor in the league. Uh, there are four potential investors in the running. Uh, some of the names might be familiar, Advent, Blackstone, EQT, all names which have popped up uh, in, to one degree or another in European football in, in, in recent years. Um, wh- why do the DFL want to do this? Why, why does the Bundesliga, why does German football want this? There is a a general consensus that something needs to be done in terms of internationalization, digitalization, international marketing, in not necessarily to catch up with the Premier League. There's, there's probably a, an acceptance that that, um, that, that, that that horse has bolted. Um, but there is certainly um, room for improvement. If you just compare some of the recent um, international TV rights deals, you're looking at over six billion euros let's let's stick to euros for this um over three years for the premier league uh the equivalent international tv rights deal for the bundesliga has been 0.6 billion so 680 million so it, it it's tiny in comparison so you can see how they see room for for improvement there um and they're hoping that with this capital you know, this in, in, injection of capital from a private, private equity investor that they will be able to benefit from that investor's yeah money uh, resources financial know-how savoir-faire etc etc um what does the potential deal then look like they're ideally looking for 900 million to 1 billion euros of uh, direct investment like like i said in digitalization internationalization marketing projects that's things like uh, helping to fund 
pre-season summer tours, uh, establishing a brand new uh, Bundesliga online video content platform, um, all, all sorts of all sorts of stuff like that. Um, to which they hope, in turn, will boost the value of the Bundesliga's international TV rights. Uh, what do the private equity firms want in return? That's always the always the big question, isn't it? Um, they're, they're going to receive, at least according to the potential deal, they're going to receive up to eight percent of the revenues generated by the increased value of the TV rights over a period of 20 years. Um, um, yeah, the, the, those right, the management and sale of those rights will be, uh, will be managed by a yet-to-be-founded new German football media management company, um, which, which yeah, basically creates a few degrees of separation, I suppose, between the, the, the private equity investment in this company and protecting it from private equity investment in the in the clubs themselves. So this is not a sale of it's not a sale of shares in the German football league. It's not a sale of shares in any German football clubs. It is a sale of yeah potential future revenues um, generated by a yet to be uh, formed company. Um, does that does that make sense? I feel I, I feel like I'm confusing myself. <laughs> no, no, it it, ma- it makes perfect sense. Uh, I mean, the reason why I was pulling faces is that private equity have never done anything nice for for the sake of being nice so so they're not in it for the for, you know because they 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 care about the, the the desire to increase the profile of the bundesliga it's 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 a pure financial issue uh, i mean looking at it from the point of view of out, of an outsider we know who's going to win the bundesliga every year and 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 that's the one thing I think which is is majorly different compared to to the Premier League. There is that that genuine competitive tension. Um, so you know, good, good luck with them because I'm a huge fan of, of German football and German football culture. So so who who voted for and and who didn't? Because I believe there was a few people that weren't necessarily popular with their clubs after the vote. Is that right? Well, I mean, the, the the logic speaks for itself. Obviously, some changes in voting patterns have occurred since May. However, it's not quite as simple that four of the clubs who voted against in May have now decided to vote in favour in, in in December. There's been several. There's actually been some who have gone from being very uh, pro the deal back in May, who have now decided they don't like it at all whatsoever. Other clubs have changed their voting patterns based on various reasons. But I think the best place to start on that is to why this deal is different to the one in May and why that has perhaps convinced certain clubs to vote differently to how they did. So like I said before, first of all, there is this general consensus that something does have to change. And there's, yeah, there's room for improvement in the digital space. It might not necessarily be my cup of tea watching football or your cup of tea watching football, but... Um, there's room for everyone, and if people want to potentially watch um, the live camera footage from the dressing room, uh, you know, there's people at that tunnel club at Man City. P- people like that might not be for me, but there we go. Um, the scope of this general um, deal has been reduced. Back in May, remember we were talking about an investment of two billion euros. Now we're looking at a maximum of one billion euros, so it's halved. Um, and what's more, that capital is going to be much more tightly ring fenced for the above mentioned things the digitalization which is a key difference because back in may part of that proposed money was actually going to be given directly to the clubs themselves and distributed along the same lines as the way 
current TV money distributed, i.e. more to the more successful, less to the less successful, the fear being quite logically that that would just simply increase the gap between rich and poor even more. That has been scrapped. So that, that, that has definitely won a few more votes. Transparency has been key. Uh, definitely wouldn't underestimate the fact that back in May, a lot of the smaller clubs did feel a bit overwhelmed, a bit overrun, a bit taken aback by the pace and the speed and the intensity with which this deal was suddenly thrown at them for a vote. Um, and there were, yeah, they, they did, a lot of them did have questions. They weren't happy at the process. They thought the process was intransparent from the DFL. This time under the new DFL leadership, it does, but to all intents and purposes and by all accounts, uh, appear to have been much more transparent. A lot more people have been brought in. Um, questions have been answered uh, and there have been these clear, the, the, the word we keep hearing over the past week is uh, rota linea, rota linea, red lines, red line. Um, they've built in red lines that can't be crossed. This, this is to appease the clubs. Um, and uh, yeah, these these red lines are going to include things like there will absolutely be no investor influence on the format of the Bundesliga competition. So potentially no playoffs, any or things like we see in Belgium or Holland um, or, or, or Scotland even. Um, yeah, they won't have influence on kickoff times. They won't want to have nine different kickoff times across the league like it's the case in Spain. Um, and yeah, it also sort of puts a bit of a veto on any potential ideas of games abroad, things like that. So they say they're, they're, they're apparently the big, the big red lines over which a private investor won't have any... Um, yeah, won't won't have any any influence. One final reason why some clubs may have changed their voting patterns is, and this is a I suppose this is a loaded word, but I think I can say it because it has been reported, and there's no other word for it. It's uh, blackmail. <laughs> there, there have been there there, there have there have been um, yeah veiled uh, let's say not so threats, but pressure applied by some of the larger Bundesliga clubs to to the smaller Bundesliga two clubs that well, if you don't vote for this, we're going to split off and do our own thing. Um, so that 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 has also played a role. Um, there's also been the case of certain clubs directly ignoring what their or certain club representatives directly ignoring what their elected parent clubs have told them to do. I'll come on to that in a second. So, like you, you asked who voted for who who who, who voted against. Uh, yeah, ten clubs voted against. Um, there are different reasons. Um, two interesting movers were Freiburg and uh, Union Berlin. Um, who are actually two big advocates of the deal back in May. Indeed, the uh, CEO of SC Freiburg was actually the interim DFL, so German Football League CEO, back in May, and he was very much driving this deal. He's now against it, um, partly because of the uh, backlash that he received from SC Freiburg's um, yeah, organised supporters, membership. You know, They are a 100% member-controlled football club. He got a lot of backlash from that. Uh, he also considers the new deal to be effectively not really worth it. If you've reduced this investment from $2 billion down to $1 billion, then his argument is, well, just generate it ourselves. Between 36 clubs, we can do that ourselves. Cologne have a similar approach to that. However, there is the quite obvious response to that is that, okay, well, certain clubs like Freiburg or um, you know, bigger clubs like Dortmund or Bayern, yeah, they can maybe afford to siphon off two or three million from their budget each year to boost internationalization, but FC Cologne definitely can't, if we're being honest. So uh, that their argument doesn't quite hold water. Uh, Union Berlin's president, a fellow called Dirk Zingler, he was also quite surprisingly in favour back in May. He's now against it for, for similar reasons. 
Um, other clubs, including Dusseldorf, St. Pauli, Magdeburg, they actually directly followed the instructions from their members. They were only allowed to do this because, by pure fluke, their AGMs happened to be last month. Uh, every other club's AGM has been has taken place at a different time of the year. So it just so happens that by pure fluke, the members of those clubs, I think Kaiserslautern as well, have had a say and issued a sort of a non-binding instruction to their representatives to vote against. And it seems that they seems that they have um, the the complicated one. Um, and I, I mentioned this idea of parent clubs instructing their representatives to vote in a certain way. Um, the parent club of Hanover, Division Two team, Hanover ninety six. This is a sort of club that comes up time and time again in German football politics. Um, they've been in civil war for for five or six years now. The parent club instructed. This wasn't an AGM thing. This was a, a direct um, in German. It's called a Weisung, which is effectively a, di- a directive. It's a it's a legally binding directive issued from the parent club, which is which has the jurisdiction. It has the the, the sovereignty. If we can call it that, um, yeah, they issued this directive to the the CEO of the professional football division who was doing the voting. It's a fellow called Martin Kint. This is a name which also pops up from time to time um, to vote against this deal. Over the course of yesterday, the identities of the ten clubs who claim they voted against were all revealed. They all ten clubs said we voted against. Hanover weren't among them. Mr. Kint at the um, at the meeting in Frankfurt was asked by colleagues of mine, "Did you vote against? Did you follow the instructions of your club?" And he just said, "Well, the ballot was secret. The ballot was indeed secret. It was also analog. It wasn't an it wasn't an e ballot. There were no electronic votes because there was out of phase apparently that they could be traced. Right. Um, <laughs> so now you have this situation where this one vote, the, the the vote has gone through by one." Uh, and it does seem, although we can't technically prove it, um, at least we can't legally prove it, um, it does seem that uh, what one representative has voted against. This has led the, the, the actual parent club of, of Hanover to call the vote Ill- illegitimate. Um, and we wait to see, we, wait, we now wait to see how that, how that will develop. I, I, I can't predict the future on that one. Wow. And I thought the politics of the Premier League and the EFL were, were Machiavellian. This, this, we, we've got a, we've got a film, we've got a documentary on this. I think Matt, it's, it sounds. Uh, you're, you're not, you're not the first person to suggest that. I mean, <laughs> we, we, we were joking yesterday, saying that if the if the DFL and the Bundesliga, if they want to produce, you know, part of this digitalization push is you know Netflix documentaries, yeah. uh, fly on the fly on the wall stuff, soap operas. Yeah, Phil, you should, they should have filmed all this. Yes. <laughs> This would send the value of the TV rights through the roof. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, one of the reasons why we, we like German football culture so much is the the central role which is played by fans. And uh, I think I saw last week some, some German fans were, were throwing fake money around I think in, in respect of this. So how, how has it in general gone down well with the, yeah, with sort of the organised fan bases of clubs? Um, not well. We await to see what will happen uh, this coming weekend. Um, and again, I, I can't predict the future as to how things will go down. But yeah, it, it, just like last time back in May, the organised fan bases in Germany, and this is uh, the, the tip of the iceberg is the ultras, but they're, they're the tip of the iceberg in the sense that they're visible. They're, they're visible, they're highly organised, they're, they're the ones that, have, that you can see and hear. 
but it would be wrong to say this is just a this is just um, concerns raised by ultra groups. Um, this is very much there is a fundamental disagreement with this within fan bases. With at, at, at all of the AGMs that have taken place, there's been clear votes against this. The, the, the basis in German football does not want does not want this. Didn't want it in May. They don't want it now. They've campaigned really, vocif- uh, really vociferously, um, but it's also been. In, in, in my opinion, at least compared to a lot of, sort of supporter politics and football politics in the UK, it's been a very, I think, intellectual debate. It's been a debate that's been conducted on a very high level. Uh, there have been po- there are podium discussions week after week. Uh, various fanzines produced podcasts um, to the extent where I've, I've been uh, working at a couple of day- games at. For example, Dortmund in recent weeks, where the ultras before the game have literally or come round the press box handing out, um, yeah, handing out A4 sheets, often in English for the benefit of anyone who can't speak German, um, explaining what their issue is and saying we we're, we're going to have a massive protest after half time with all these banners on the yellow wall explaining the following: we don't like this, 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 and this. The deal is yes, yes. So what what exactly are they all against then? Um, fundamentally it's seen as a gamble and I suppose there's no way around that that is a fact that's how these things work it's a gamble on the increased value of future tv rights they hope it will all come off they hope they will able to be they will be able to afford these eight percent repayments uh, but there's obviously no guarantee that, that will be the case what if the tv rights don't increase in value um what will the private investor the private equity investor then demand we've been told that there are these red lines in place that they won't be able to take action like, okay well in that case i'll tell you what will increase your tv rights value add a nice uh 10 p.m kickoff time for the benefit of the ust uh, the ust time market um apparently there are red lines these won't be overstepped we all know how things work de facto we actually we already see it in germany um, at club level, uh, according to the 50 plus one ownership rule, the fans do have the final say. The members do have overall control. No investor has a final controlling stake. And yet that has been the case. That, that, is, that is still the case at, at Hamburg. And it's been the case at Schalke, where de facto a, an individual investor has, has put so much money in that the clubs are so reliant on him that he actually does have the authority to effectively do whatever he wants. So there is there is absolutely that fear Control that, by stealth. that's a potential yeah. exactly that there's that there's a there's that can that, that can materialise down the um down the line. Uh, despite the claims from the DFL that they've been transparent and like at club level and league level it has been transparent. A lot of the club representatives have been quite happy with this. Uh, there's been they think there's been a lack of transparency and a disregard for the democratic process at club level. Like I said that only three or four AGMs have taken place. The fans haven't been asked there's a reason the fans haven't been asked because the clubs know that as soon as they mention the investor word at any AGM, they're going to get voted out straight away. Um, there's also this belief that the DFL's priorities are wrong. Um, this idea that yeah, trying to catch the Premier League is a non-starter. Uh, the Premier League benefits from all sorts of structural advantages, not least the English language, but also has a 15-odd year head start on the international internationalised sale of TV rights. Um and it also has no 50 plus one rule represent, um, restricting investors. So it, it stands to reason that Man City, Newcastle, Chelsea, whoever can can spend a lot more money than German clubs. But then again, German fans don't want that. We've discussed that as well in the past. They they, they, they simply don't want it. Um, they believe that the priorities are wrong. I think they believe that the German, German Football League should focus on its USPs, on its real strengths, 
really doubling down on 50 plus one, on member control, on more sociable football, inclusive football, affordable ticket prices, standing places, uh, drinking beer in the stands. This, This stuff all sounds very simple compared to one, two billion euro investment deals. Um, but there is a feeling that this this is what German football should be trying to stand for, and um, yeah, to, to to do things to effectively do things their own way because you can't catch the Premier League anyway. As for lack of competitiveness, if anyone had told me at the start of this season that Borussia Dortmund will have got out of this Champions League group, I'd have I'd have laughed at them. Or if you had told me that there's a potential, I mean, it's a long way to go, but a potential emerging title race involving Stuttgart and Bayer Leverkusen, I'd have probably also laughed. So, I mean. Take take Bayern Munich aside. There's no obviously it's not a good look. Eleven titles in a row, um, but German football beneath that is it's not like it has nothing nothing going for it. It, it, it is a good league. Uh, it does give a, a great platform to young coaches, to young talent, to innovative, to innovative tactics, which often end up sort of dominating the Premier League a few years later. Um, so German football does have an awful lot going for it, and there's a feeling that you know why the DFL should probably be emphasising all this stuff a lot more. Rather than chasing a horse, which is already which is already um, already bolted, um, yeah, all underpinned by this general a, a general suspicion of over commercialization of football. Brilliant. Well, we'd we'd love to have you a guest on uh, Price of Football live in Berlin. Um, just need just need to get it booked. That's uh, it's, So uh, thanks so much for giving up your time, uh, and it's been uh, absolutely brilliant listening to to the state of play in Germany and and, and the huge differences uh, I think uh, between German and and English fan culture. Thanks so much, Matt. Yeah, my pleasure. There's a lot to unpack in there, Kieran, but I'll, I'll, I'll console myself or simply say German football is much more political than ours, isn't it, really? there's It gets very complicated in there. It is. It's much more political. It's much more analytical. Um, and I hate to say it, it's much more intellectual in terms of the the responses, you know, the, the fact that we had German fans handing out leaflets to uh, journalists in German and English. Yeah. Can, can you imagine yeah, us yeah, yeah. trying to do that for one of our campaigns? Um, uh, Bayern Munich played at Old Trafford on Tuesday night of this week, and their fans again had uh, were showing solidarity with Manchester United fans in terms of their feelings towards the Glazers and so on. Um, so. Yeah, it, it it was fascinating. The deal has only just gone through. They they've just managed to get the two thirds mandate uh, for a change, mainly I think on the threat of uh, clubs in Bundesliga one jettisoning the others. But you know, Matt's clearly you know a, a man who is is expert because he's you know he's he works there and he he deals with all aspects of German football. Um, we we need to do the price of football live in Berlin. I'd love to do the price of football live in Berlin. I'd, I'd happily record the price of football live in Berlin. I'd happily just go to Berlin, Kieran. To be perfectly honest, price of football or no price of football, I'd also happily go to Amsterdam, Kieran, because you and I are finally are huge fans of Dutch culture, huge fans of Amsterdam. Unfortunately, your footballing career has taken you to Amsterdam more recently than my footballing career is going to. But this, this. <laughs> This story um, about the Dutch treasury is one of the reasons that we are such big fans of Dutch culture, Kieran. Yeah, hats off. Hats <laughs> off to the uh, the Royal Enschede, um, the, the equivalent of the Royal Mint, um, because they have brought out an €8 euro bill 
featuring a picture of Dennis Bergkamp. But it's not just a picture of Dennis Bergkamp. We love the World Cup. And there are certain iconic moments in terms of individual finals that, that still are part of our armory. And we can we can replicate them in our heads instantly. I think it's fair to say you and I might have struggled even when we were younger to to uh, to have done anything near what Dennis Bergkamp did against Argentina um, in in the nineteen ninety eight uh, World Cup. But what the the Dutch Treasury have done is that they've brought out an eight euro uh, to to remind people of his shirt, um, and it's that moment where he takes that ball and just it comes over his shoulder and he stops it dead and then goes on to score this amazing goal. Um, so what they've done, and, and I'm still not quite sure what the status is in terms of legal tenders, is they've brought out a limited number of these notes. I, I would imagine there'll be a scrabble for them. Ten of them um, are going to be uh, created in 23-carat gold leaf. So they're going to go for a fortune. There is going to be a digital version of, of your your item as well and, and you, people might say oh, hold on he's being a hypocrite here because he's yeah we, we've been from day one of you know fan tokens and nfts we've been quite skeptical um yeah I, if, if i got one of these don't spend it <laughs> would be my advice to you <laughs> don't don't take it along and say oh I, I i fancy some chips with with mayonnaise um i'll, I'll pay for it because they will become collector's items uh, there's no doubt and uh, I, th- I think it's 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 fantastic, an amazing footballer, an amazing goal, and I have no issue with this whatsoever. I had, I had a slight moment of panic there, Kieran, when I thought you were going to go into a Steve McLaren-style Dutch accent when you were buying those imaginary chips <laughs> in that shop. Also, your amazing generosity when you say you and I, at the height of our footballing flowers, would have struggled to get anywhere near Dennis Bergkamp's goal. That's, I mean, that's, the, that's the understatement of the year. <laughs> I, I scored one goal in Sunday football, a left foot volley, which which I wasn't even facing the right way. It just ha- happened to hit the back of my left leg and went in, which I celebrated for about half an hour. If I could have had anywhere near what Dennis Bergkamp did. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that'd be very kind of you. It'll also get you access to our chat community and our regular quizzes. The Christmas quiz is coming up. Always one of my favourite nights of the year. You can do all that by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And if you'd like to buy our book or one of our other books, which makes us sound ever so grand, or get yourself a Price of Football t-shirt, which makes us sound ever so Del Boy, you can find details on our website, priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Monday with our regular questions pod. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you as always, folks, for engagement on social media and of a myriad of different ways. Uh, we, we, we genuinely uh, appreciate all the support. Um, and again, thanks to people at Patreon for giving the contributions. We, we will be looking forward to having a, a chat with you. For We're working out on the quiz questions at present. Uh, some serious, some not <laughs> quite as serious, I think it's fair to say. Um, so there are various ways you can support the club, so support the podcast, one of which is to give us a review. Uh, there's not been many reviews on uh on on the podcast apps recently but if you pop onto your podcast app give us a review um helps us with 
booking booking guests. It doesn't doesn't matter what you say by all accounts. So you can even say you would rather have the show presented by Lemmy from Motorhead <laughs> and Dennis Bergkamp. And I think that would be one of the most baffling combinations of presenters that we've ever had. But I'd listen all the same just to see the great man um, of the score of so many great goals. And he just looked cool every time he had a football show yeah, as well. We'd have, we'd have trouble booking Lemmy for practical purposes. But I, I worry yes. I worry if Dennis Bergkamp hosted the pod, he'd be way too cool for school. Because, I mean, I'd, if I'd scored that goal, Ken, I don't think I'd ever speak to a common person again. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. The price of football. Buy some photo